Welcome to Oscar Poker. My name is Sasha Stone with AwardsDaily.com. And I'm Jeffrey Wells of Hollywood Elsewhere, uh, talking from Wilton, Connecticut. Yes. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a longer podcast. We're gonna make it for free, not behind the paywall, because as a benefit for having taken two weeks off. Okay. So, <laughs> as a, all right. As so, give me, give me. Okay. Now, yeah. what happened? the first time was it was it the server crashing the first time or was it what happened well, the first time? uh the very first time was i i thought it was both tech issues all the time maybe i'm wrong uh but i i seem to recall there's uh uh some kind of reluctance some kind of fatigue factor the first weekend i i, I remember saying to myself okay maybe we can do it on monday or tuesday that's what you suggested and then somehow that Monday or Tuesday just drifted into the ether and right. came nothing. The next weekend, the next weekend was when, let's let's be frank, let's be honest, you were attacked by vicious ISPs, vicious, uh, you know, whatever the term is, uh, and, and obviously people looking to hurt award sailing. And there were not just one or two or three, but 15 or 16 of them. And uh, you really uh, had to like um, put, you know, sound the alarm and take measures to protect yourself as anyone. It would. was, but as you recall, it was both of our, and wherever your face is right now, that's where you should stay because that's where you sound the best on your microphone. Sure. Um, right next to it. Just as a side note. And they were, cause your servers, your site is on at least right now, temporarily until you get your new server set up is on my server. So both of us were getting hit. Your site kept shutting down. My site kept shutting down. Um, it was okay. it was pretty rough for a while there. I thought that, and it was on a really big awards day. So it was the day that the LA Film Critics and the New York and the Boston. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, that was the same weekend. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And so yeah, there were it was a big awards weekend, and and we kept both of us kept contacting tech support. They kept finding the I, IPs, deleting them, blocking them, mm-hmm. and. Um, and uh, and and then it just kept coming and the site kept and so you know if if you're bringing in new visitors and they can't connect to your site they're never coming back you right. know you right. lose them they're never going to make the effort to come back to your site they're just going to think oh that site doesn't work so I'm not going to go back there right and so it was pretty devastating for both of us we both had ad campaigns running at that time well I'm not aware and, that there was a lot of downtime at least as far as I was concerned if there was it was unbeknownst to me. But I'm, uh, but I'm obviously alarmed that anything threatening, consistency, you know, visual, you know, uh, presence, um, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I know that there was a kind of a what happened, you know, for an hour or two, but I didn't think anything was too too awful. But that uh, because you were right on top of it, so it was a uh, well, it was it was awful for me because not only could people not get the site but nobody could use the site nobody could comment and so i just kept getting reports and people were worried we should also say jeff is getting over a cold that's why he's sniffling so if you hear that that's him actually it's it's not really getting over a cold it's 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 called the forever cough is what it is I, i don't feel you we all know what a cold feels like it's in your chest it's in your sinuses your voice is clearly, you know, stopped up or, you know, 
colored by uh, by congestion. And I, I don't uh, really feel that. Uh, I feel relatively uh, free of infection, but the forever cough will not go away. And it's just, sometimes it's fine for hours on end. Uh-huh. And then it'll come back. And then I start doing these hacking, whooping, things. Awful. So anyway, so here we are, low energy, talking about our malady. We had... <laughs> So we had the, uh, the whole uh, thing going on. Anyway, so we're we're out of the out of the woods. So I mean, there was the uh, tech problems, the tech assault. It's like you know, it's like Palestinians attacking Sasha Stone, you know, from 50 or different. Well, it was it was both of us, but it wasn't it wasn't. Most of them were coming from China, weirdly enough. I don't know oh, why. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. Well, that they're, may, they're yeah. usually coming from China or Eastern Europe. It's those. It's one of those two. It's like these, you know, Russian types, or it's yeah. the well, Chinese. That's what we always hear about any invasions. It's always from these people. But yeah. I always presumed that maybe there's a motive for someone attacking. I do too. I I always presume that too. But maybe that is a. I don't know, but because it's happened to me a lot. But I do. Yeah. I do sort of agree that they're. I'm not sure how these work, these attacks, but people get them. People have to survive them. Even big sites like Twitter get them. It's just constant, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you have to stay on top of it. It's really hard. But and um, anyway, blah blah blah. So okay. we're moving on to the topics of the day. So the first thing we want to talk about is the um, the interview with uh, Adam Carolla and yes. what's his name? Rob Rob Schneider. Yeah. And um and we're just going to play that clip right now and then we can talk about it. Please. This is primarily Corolla talking, I believe, right? Or not. Used to be 100 million people. Remember before the Academy Awards in the 70s when they were really Academy Awards? Yeah. Like you had Barbara Walters interview Sean Connery and was, you know or, or you had whoever was nominated that year. Yeah. It was like 100 you watched with your parents and like this is amazing. And now it's just now, now that they're the Academy Awards is saying you have to have forty percent in LBGQ plus handicapped. I'm sorry, people uh, challenged, emotionally challenged people. Yes. It's um, it kind of like people have checked out because they realize that this really isn't the best anymore. It's just it's it's just how far they could suck up to uh, this this particular uh, ideology of of idiocy. And yes. and I just think it turns people off. It turns me off. I, I haven't watched in years. Well. I've said it a million times. I've been railing about this for a long time. I I feel like the chickens are kind of coming home to roost. But when you start introducing question marks into people's heads, that's when the franchise is over. So when you go, you know, you just see this latest kerfuffle with the president of Harvard, you know, and you go, oh, black female. Hmm. Was she the most qualified for that? The second that thought enters your head, and it has to now, because they foisted it on us. Like they said, Joe Biden said, if you're not black and a female, then you need not apply for the second most important position in the world, which is vice president of the United States. You need not apply. And then we went, oh, so maybe Kamala Harris isn't the most qualified to do this. Yes. And then she made all our nightmares come true by being horrific at her job <laughs> and then setting the movement back 25 years. But 
when you start, if, I, I've said it, forget it. Let's let's get out of race for a second. But yeah. it's it's all true. When you see the black female who runs Harvard there, you go, is she the best and the brightest? Was she the, the smartest? Only, she the whatever. Right. The only way you could have gotten that even better is if after her testimony, she wheeled herself out on a wheelchair. Ah, right. she's black. <laughs> and you find out later she's also a lesbian. So but, she's black. She's a woman. She's handicapped right. and but a lesbian you, at all quadrants. You, you hurt the you hurt your franchise. So when the Academy Awards goes, look, we're going to have forty percent of this group uh, represented, yeah. and we need X amount of handicap and X amount of gay and lesbian represented. Then we as watchers go, is that really then the best film? Is is Moonlight the best film of the year, or are you guys doing this? But forget about race. Let's just say you're watching the NFL. And and I always say, you know, that's the meritocracy. Sports is the meritocracy. And that's why we're all secretly and unknowingly attracted to sports. Like what is the universal attraction to sports? Well, when the Seattle defense goes out there and there's 10 black guys and one white guy on the defensive side of the ball, we don't start breaking it up into race. We just go, I guess those are the 11 best guys on this team, which you definitely do not do with politics or certainly all the award shows now, or even, even when Rolling Stone is going to come out with their top 200 guitarists and (laughs) the top of the list is Joan Baez or something. And and you're like, no, come on, not better than Stevie Ray Vaughan. Come on. So you've ruined your franchise and, if, if they did this in sports, like yeah. if, if they went, well, the coach for the Rams, uh, Sean McVay, has uh, decided to start his son, Larry McVay, at quarterback today. And then Larry went back there and threw like three pick sixes and they went into the locker room and then they came back out and they went, uh, Sean, daddy coach, is going to stick with Larry in the second half. You'd be going, oh, come on. Oh, come on. And you would quickly stop watching sports. You would quickly, I would be a Rams fan and I go, you know what? I'm not going to sit around and watch a guy probably shouldn't have made the team, but just because he's the coach's son, he got tapped as a starter. (laughs) You've ruined, or middle linebacker. Like it doesn't, after watching that guy getting pancaked by a couple of running backs, like you, you would immediately lose faith it's tainted in it it would be tainted and you would stop paying attention and then viewership would go down dramatically <laughs> and money would go down you right. see the thing is when, when it is about when it's all about winning then all the race and everything goes out the window because it's about winning whatever it takes to win that's why there's no filipinos in the nba okay right because filipinos the, the incredible nurses you can't go into a hospital in the world without them and you'll be no. lucky if you get them because they're usually doctors as well as the doctors in the Philippines, which you get a nurse, blah, blah, blah. But that's why you better be nice to Filipinos. Can I, can I say this, though? Half black ones are. If yeah. I ran a Filipino hospital, yeah, I would hire one heavyset black woman to be the lead nurse just to see the look on everyone's <laughs> face who turned the corner. So let me just say that uh, I, I felt it was one of the truest, most dead-on, most insightful observations about the culture and about um about um you know pcism uh that i've heard in a long time which is basically boils down to this where people just listen to it but i'm going to re- retranslate and rephrase and basically if you are running a sports team 
if you are a head of a sports organization, basketball, football, whatever, you are absolutely have one mission and one mission only, and that's to win games. And you don't do that by playing little identity games, by putting in this person and that person because of their identity, their racial uh, you know, history, because of their philosophy, because whether you do it because you want the best people playing so you can win games. End of the story. That's you can guarantee that that's what sports is about. Doesn't mm. matter what the ethnic origin of the of the players is, they are the best that that particular owner and that manager could assemble, and that is all that's going on. Nothing else. However, in Oscar realms and in political realms, that's not the case. People are uh, given awards and praised up and down, not for merit necessarily, although sometimes obviously they are, but for their identity, but for their uh, for their uh, associations, before what they stand for, what their history stands for. And that is something that is absolutely uh, known and understood by everybody in this country, from your sister, from your daughter's um, boyfriends to, you know, they all understand that it's a rigged, game right uh, so that was your takeaway from it my takeaway was when adam carolla talked about the right. brand the damage to the brand of the oscars and and that he thinks that once people understand that mm-hmm. it's a rigged game then they don't care anymore that's precisely what i was just saying i mean that, yeah. that's why they don't care because they know it's rigged they know that the fix is in so to speak yeah and and we were both discussing this. Um, yeah. The uh you know the fact that my daughter's roommate years ago, when was this? This was around 2020, I guess, had said or when was the Florida project out? This this kid, he was he's a Gen Zer like I think that uh, might have been uh 18 or 19 the Florida project, come to think of it. I remember going uh, to a party and and Sean the rector was there and Roger Derling was there and that was like it had to be 18 or 19. All right. Well, well, this this friend of my daughter's said that mm-hmm. um, that after the Florida Project didn't get nominated, he he was disillusioned and turned off by the Oscars. He thought that the fix was in and that they that they don't award people for deserving because he was a white guy uh-huh. and that everybody understood that there was no way he was going to get any Oscar attention. Okay. And um and her friend told her that a long time ago and I just filed it away because I thought yeah welcome to the club <laughs> welcome to the party pal mm. like um but but I did think it was interesting <clears throat> that a young person believed that and and based based on that movie I wasn't a big fan of that movie and I understand why it didn't get in everybody has their own reasons for but the one constant with what we know has happened to film awards and not just the Oscars. But film critics awards, industry awards, guild awards, all of Hollywood, Academy Museum. Mm-hmm. This is a new religion that has overtaken the industry. And yes. and it's obvious to everybody except those inside the bubble, like your commenters right. who are very much inside the bubble. They're just like nothing, you know, they're they're so like the Emperor's new clothes are beautiful. What are mm-hmm. you talking about? The Emperor is dressed beautiful like those those those, that's a wonderful coat the and even if you find something a little funny about what's going on it's justified because there's been so many decades centuries of horrible behavior brought upon these people that we have to balance the moral ledger sheet so these people get the edge these people get the favoritism and that's it that's the way it is so that's what's going on basically and that that we talk about that a lot here because um 
you know, both of us have been talking about it for a while. And mm. and we, we also talked about how, um, you know, I, I've been quite honest and I think sort of transparent about the fact that I was one of the first people that started a lot of this back in 20, actually really when I first started my website in 1999, right around the time Halle Berry was coming up for Best Actress, I started, I noticed that no black actress had ever won. Mm-hmm. And I made a big deal about it. And I, I noticed that people noticed like Hollywood actors, especially don't like to be seen in a negative light. Their image is everything. They're narcissists. Right. So if you dare to call them racist, they're going to pay attention to that. And I was one of the people that did. And I, I thought did the it. big thing that launched the whole thing was the words Oscars. So white. That was in that came later. That wasn't until like 2013. I'm yeah, but talking that's about what, that's what ignited it. That once people got that in their heads, that was it. Well, once Twitter came along and they had a way to publicly humiliate them, it was one thing for me to write angry screeds on my website, which I did for years. Everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. Um, 2010, I lost my mind over Viola Davis getting in for help. Like it was so weird. I took it on as like my crusade. What was and it about it, Viola Davis that angered you? That she was going to lose to Meryl Streep. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. To Meryl Streep as uh, Maggie Thatcher, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. At the, when that happened, I used to right. have a web, a, a forum that belonged mm-hmm. to my site that was really popular. And mm-hmm. the people on the forum revolted because I was against Meryl Streep and they got really angry at me and we we divided. There was a great divide. I let, I let go of the forums. They created their own site and that site is now called Awards Watch with Eric Anderson. Right. They've changed their minds because now they've become peak woke over there. But at the time they were pro Meryl Streep um, and they didn't, nobody liked that I was, I was so angry about race and racism and gender and all that. But I do think in my own way, I did both I did both harm and I did good. I mean, I don't think without shaking the tree, Catherine Bigelow would have won. I don't think history would have been made. But at the same time, it went too far. And it mm-hmm. it became the whole reason for awards at all, is to try to pretend to invent a little diorama, a utopian diorama, where we've invented this little world where everything works out just great mm. for everybody, you know? Mm. Was, By the way, uh, you were uh, obviously a fan of the help, and uh, I can remember being at the um, ArcLight after a special screening of it, and the publicist for the director, oh, what's the what? director's name? The director. Uh, Lee, Lee Daniel was it Lee Daniels or was no. it Tate Taylor? Tate, Tate Taylor. Taylor. He, she was there, and we were talking about the help, and you know, and uh, we were kind of. You know, I was like, say, oh, yeah, yeah OK. Uh, but uh, uh, she said, you know, Tate's here. Uh, can you guys want to, um, you know, maybe do a few minutes with him, whatever you do this right now? And I, and I said, honestly, uh, I'm sorry, but I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to feel sufficiently. Uh, I mean, I'm a little little mixed. You know, I'm not, I don't hate it, but it's I'm not that knocked out by it. And uh, it, I wasn't the only one that said that to her. We were just being as polite as possible. We don't mm. want to be dismissive. We just didn't, <coughs> didn't think it was. <coughs> Sorry. And I didn't think that Viola was um, wonderful. I thought she was, I, I felt her. She was real. She was honest. It was like, wow, okay. Good performance. She always, she's always good. When is she not good? But I never thought it was like, wow. You know, it was good, though. 
Well, I didn't like The Iron Lady, and I thought Meryl Streep had already won two Oscars and she didn't need another one. But my whole uh, way of being back then was how Hollywood has become now. Mm, like, I was yeah. prioritizing race, and right. I didn't think it was fair that the actors were paying for all the charges of racism against the movie. I thought it was unfair that finally a movie came along where she could actually win, and now all of a sudden people don't like it that she's playing a maid, you know? Yeah, Which yeah. is fine. It's justified. I just was really angry about that. Yeah. yeah. And, um... Her, her know, breakout to me was was in doubt. That's what really put her on the map. That, uh, that one scene with Meryl Streep in doubt. You, do you remember that scene in particular? That was really course. something. That was amazing. I don't even remember yeah. what year that was. Was that 11, the following year? I don't know, what but let's it? not get sidetracked. Let's not get sidetracked. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that, that this will come to matter because it is kind of the thing I did with Ava DuVernay, too. I, um, I sort of became this person who believed um, that uh, that that you know Ava DuVernay was you know kind of this project of mine that I was kind of I was with you Sasha I was a middle of nowhere religious fervor person I really thought it was something I did a special thing about you know talking with 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 the uh, the actress uh, whose name will always elude me because it's too difficult to remember but she was wonderful in it and um, and David Oyelowo uh, the whole thing so I was with you completely you weren't the only i mean you 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 were very strongly and i and i uh defer to your power on that but i i felt the same thing zach well i'm just saying that like my whole I- ideas about hollywood has changed i mm-hmm. where Ava duvernay was concerned at some point i felt like she was want you know she had her own voice now she didn't need mm-hmm. me to speak for her anymore and you know, in fact, black filmmakers didn't need white people like me to be their crusaders, their white saviors or whatever online. So I Why is it necessarily a savior, savior? Why can't you just be a human being who loves movies? I am just... saying it in scare quotes, obviously. I'm not saying it literally, Jeff. I'm saying that's what it comes off as. Yeah, but that's not... what they use. They, they default to that term. You know, where, you know you're, it's not your place to speak, uh, you know fraternally or enthusiastically you know you're a white person you can't yeah but but that's not that's not what i was doing and what i was doing was was very much a crusade you know and and it was based on race and gender and i did feel as though i was a kind of a savior to Mm -hmm. not to the black community but just in general a savior somebody who was you know you all know what i was like back then everybody knows it was intolerable for a lot of people um, useful, perhaps. I thought that there was no point to even covering awards if I couldn't help uh, marginalized groups. I was yeah. absolutely a woke person back then. Right. And um, and that is, you know, obviously to my uh, detriment and to, to their detriment and to the industry's detriment. I'm not saying it was all my fault. I was just contributing. I was part of a wave. That's why I think now the way that I am is is also ahead, a little bit ahead of the curve. And I think that the way I see and the way you see the industry and mm-hmm. the way Rob Schneider and Adam Carolla and everybody outside the bubble of Hollywood sees the industry mm-hmm. is ahead of the curve. And that eventually they're not going to be able to deny reality anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're almost there now. But I was watching a TikTok video of a review of poor things of the... Yorgos Lanthimos. Yeah. 
And I was thinking, okay, here we go. We're going to get this, you know, white woman, this and that. But of course, I remembered that Poor Things is woke, right? It's intersectional. It's got lots of people of color. It's got, you know, sex scene with a woman of color at Emma Stone. So there's not going to be, they're not going to be able to complain about it. And therein is the whole thing, right? Because if you cover yourself, that's what it's all about. They're covered. Yeah. Now they don't have to worry about um, being attacked. That's what it's about. Virtue signaling. It's they use people of color and marginalized groups as a shield. Well, that's the way the world we live in. If you don't use that shield, they'll come after you. If you don't say, you're not saying the right thing. So I don't blame your Hugo Slanthemus for protecting himself. Well, it's because you like the movie. You would criticize it if it was in a different movie. Um, the world likes the movie for the most part. I mean, there are some that are going to say it's too sexual or not my cup of tea or you know but it's basically obviously one of the most brilliant things that's happened this year and it's not like ooh, jeff likes it i mean it's not on that level no i'm not i'm not insinuating that it's a creepy thing or anything i'm not saying that i'm just saying that um that it doesn't bother you in that case because you love the movie so you're just fine with it you'll give the woke stuff a pass but it bothers me but I, i am aware that it's doing the same woke thing that barbie does it's the same type of journey that Emma Stone's character goes on. We all, I think, understand that. My, with me, I didn't. It didn't particularly bother me in Poor Things, only because it's a surreal universe. There are no rules. There's no rules that says they all have to be a certain color or a certain gender or anything right. like that. It was right. all surreal, and so why mm-hmm. not have it? It's sort of like Saltburn or uh triangle of sadness or whatever it is like all these movies are intersectional because they speak to people inside the utopia inside the bubble and they don't really have much relevance for people who can't relate to that at all because inside the bubble the problems are not practical they're existential right and so that's why movies like uh Poor things fit so well, or everything, everywhere, all at once. There's a reason why a lot of the movies that are doing well in the Oscar race exist in a parallel universe that doesn't really uh, reflect the one we're living in now. now. Let's look at the movies that are up for Best Picture right now. Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. Killers of the Flower Moon, Barbie, Poor Things. Maestro. Uh, Maestro. Now, the only movie, in my opinion, that exists in the world we're living in right now is American fiction. That's a modern movie about what we're living through right this moment in America, which is fascinating, makes it fascinating. Everything else exists in a different time. The holdovers is a different time. Um, But remember that the uh, American fiction, as much as I'm a huge fan of the first 45 to 50 minutes of it and a moderate uh, fan of the remainder. It was, it is based on a book that was written about 20 something years ago. And the script was originally pounded out in 15 or thereabouts. 15. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly delightful in the way it reflects the the priorities of the woke gang, as far as, you know, people of color and, you know, uh, celebrating ethnicity and all that, but it's, you know, it's not really of this time in terms of its creation, but just making right. You're right. You're right. That's true. Mm. Just like the killer is also kind of about right now. The killer could exists in our modern world right now, but something about movies that are about right now don't resonate as much as movies that aren't 
mm-hmm. people really still want to escape them. because I think that people have a hard time as that Adam Carolla video proves mm. they have a hard time confronting the reality of what we've all become, what this industry has become, what not you, America, not you and I, Sasha, not us, but you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. general um, state of things. I think that like, you know, they want to be in denial and pretend that things are as they want them to be instead yeah. of as they are. Right. And that's an easy thing to slip into um, and just forget your troubles and, and leave the world behind uh, a movie we should talk about. <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of leaving the world behind, if we feel like talking about sure, it. Sure. I'd love, love to get into it. Yeah. By the way, if you so, were, let's say you were the head of the uh, Academy, you were like really on the board and everything. You, you really are pulling the strings and you know for in your head, in your heart, for a fact that you have, you and your brethren have basically limited, reduced the size of the, the degree of interest in the Oscars by catering only to woke ideology over the last six, seven years, right? You know that. There's no question. Mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers reflect that, the viewership, everything. It's become the Tony Awards and so on. Let's say that you know that and you want to somehow reverse the clock and somehow get back to 2015 and before and so what would you do what could be done anything or is it impossible i'm just asking you as a strategic thinker a person who knows how to fix problems as you do what would you do what could be done well i i think the first thing they should do is um, I, I don't think there's anything they can do, actually. I'm sorry to say. I don't. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> I wish I could be different. But see, they entered, they, they, when they freaked out, they allowed in a few thousand new members. And those members were young, woke, and a lot of them international. Just identity-driven, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of matched the Golden Globes. And right. so it's, it's, it is a certain kind of taste. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think you can change that back. So they have to move through it and become whatever it's going to be next. For instance, the SAG Awards are now on Netflix, right? They're not yes. on television anymore. So they don't right. even have to worry about the ratings. They can have the show be as long as they want. They can have it be anything that they want. They have no pressure by anybody. They can indulge. They can virtue signal. They can give long political lectures. They can do whatever they want because the networks, the free market, Mm -hmm. and the public no longer matter. And that's the future of the Oscars. The Oscars are going to go quietly into that good night. They're going to go on streaming. They're going to be in this little utopia with all these people that love them. And the Oscars are going to do what they're doing now, which is give those people inside the utopia what they want, and they'll all be ecstatic. Well, they're pretty It'll much be like, been doing that all since 2017, so, right? No, no, they've been doing it since 2019, after Green Book, right? The Green Book okay, apocalypse. Yes, yes, I understand, after Green Book, but there was, um, you know, in the, in the world that exists before 2015, I really don't think, due respect to Barry Jenkins, I don't think that Moonlight would have won. I really don't. I think that was there. It won because of Oscars so white. It was a, it was like. No, that's not why it won. It yeah. won because Trump won the election. Well, that too. 
That's that why. Too. Yeah. Because that year, and I remember it because I taught, exchanged emails with the director. Mm-hmm. As everybody knows, everything changed for me in 2020. But back in 2016, I was mm-hmm. like Jeff. I was like everybody else, totally freaked out by Trump. Mm-hmm. And so I was angry at La La Land too. I thought La La Land was racist. Because I was your, one of those people. Did you, did you I use the jazz those, argument that you're not allowed to like jazz? If I got as caught up in it as everybody else. Yeah, I did. And right. then I, it wasn't. And the, the producer wrote me and he's like, what is going on? And I was like, well, and I, blah, 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 this irrational <laughs> argument poured out of me. And, and I was like, Hillary and Trump, you know, and, and, um, mm-hmm. and it was insane. And so it was mass hysteria. And the thing is, is I snapped out of it eventually, thank God. And I'm glad that I did. Even before 2020, I snapped out of it. Because once I saw them going after, um, when I saw them going after Green Book, yeah. that was when it changed for me. Because three billboards they did the year before, they went after it. It was racist. He was shamed out of the academy. All that stuff happened with three billboards. And I fought against that. I was called out by... That really famous black critic, I forget his name. He's since been banned from Twitter. Um, a really tall, Oops. big. No, 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 no. no. Some film critic. I can't remember his name. I'm sorry to say, but not, not um, but anyway. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Um, he called me out when I defended three billboards, and he mm-hmm. said, "Keep it to yourself, sis," or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we got into this big thing on Twitter and suddenly me and Ryan and my site were the target of accusations of racism. The woke people, right? And now so that was specifically it, because you were too um, uh, obliging or you didn't didn't uh, acknowledge the racism in um, the in Rockwell, Sam Rockwell's character. Is that it? What, what was it exactly? It's because I was defending the film against charges of racism, which I was thought was ridiculous. Yeah, because they said that the movie is apologizing for police brutality and how gross and how horrible. And they went at it like they were going after Trump. Just yeah. like they did La La Land. And that's when I stopped participating mm-hmm. and I started fighting back and I got hugely punished for that. Mm-hmm. And then the next year was Green Book, needless to say. And we know mm-hmm. what happened that year. So well, let me once again say you're tired of hearing me. It, it was a it was a appalling thing that happened to Green Book, but it did win the Best Picture Oscar. Let's just remember. I that. know, but that, but that, yes, and it won because the there was a tiny backlash inside the academy. But that year, because it was called, it, look at this, look at it this way. Mm-hmm. This is why we got to write our green book book because right. of the d- dramatic dynamics at play that year. If green book, I mean, if um, mm-hmm. in twenty in twenty nineteen after the green book thing, if Parasite had won. Mm-hmm. Every single winner at the Oscars would have been a white person. After all that happened with Green Book, if Parasite had not won, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, director, mm-hmm. and picture would have all been white people. And Why? So it, what, 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 what do you mean? Well, because Parasite was the only film with people of color in it. Yes. In the, in the entire and, best picture. And it was uh, the big competition, as I recall, was the was the Irishman. Was there something else? And that... 19, 1917 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Right. Okay. So and and so from then on, mm-hmm. because after 
Green Book, they, the Academy after 2017, 2018, around in there, that's when they started inviting in thousands and thousands and thousands of members. Remember after Green Book, they were going to punish their members for being mm-hmm. old and out of touch. Remember yep. that? Yep. And so after Green Book, as my friend Clarence is always pointing out, everything changed. Mm-hmm. And it's never going to go back. Mm. It can't, right? That's right. right. Um, so let me just quickly back that up so that our readers don't get upset. Let me just read the 2019 Best Picture nominees so we, we can be really clear about this. But I remember thinking, if Parasite hadn't won Best Picture, the headlines the next day would have been so damning, the Oscars might never have recovered. I mean, it would have been like, Queen Elizabeth not saying anything about Princess Diana's death. Like, that's how bad it would have been. Boy, um, I never felt that way. I was bothered hugely by Parasite. I still am. All right, still- here's the here's the films that were up that year. Parasite, Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So it's all movies with... And once again, those were films that were released in 19 and were actually awarded in 20. Just be clear about that. Right. And and I have to say that that was the last Oscar ceremony I attended in 2019. Mm-hmm. It, it And when Parasite won. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was minutes before COVID hit. And we were all inside this theater from all over the <laughs> world. Yeah. Nobody was wearing masks. Mm. And then moments later, after the Oscars, that's mm-hmm. when the first cases of COVID started to hit and everything hit the fan and things really changed. So by 2020, Hollywood went through the great awakening, right? So it wasn't just everything that they'd done in 2020, they made their mandate. That's when they put in place their inclusivity mandate that Mm -hmm. Rob Schneider and Adam Carolla are talking about. They're talking about that inclusivity mandate. They're saying that if everybody knows that they have to have these um, these mandates, nobody's Mm going to care about any of the movies or any of the awards like they've screwed their brand with that. And I agreed. I pushed back hard against that. I think it was a stupid thing to do. I still think it's a stupid thing to do. It's insulting to people of color who win awards, just like they say in that interview, because you're always looking at them thinking. That person they didn't got in because it. of yeah because of an inclusion mandate yeah mm-hmm. and and how can they ever be seen like they say about Kamala Harris they criticize her because they say Joe Biden said I'm going to pick a black woman so when he picked her it didn't make a difference who she was mm-hmm. all that mattered was that she was a black woman that's and so familiar. that that's DEI right and that's what's happened to the Oscars it's pretty clear right. so your question what would I do if I was the Academy I would ask myself what I wanted. What are my objectives, right? Is my objective to have higher ratings? Is my objective to uh, broaden these awards so that they're not inside the bubble and that they Mm -hmm. start to reach everybody and we bring everybody in? That would be my choice. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's their objective. I think their objective is like the Academy Museum. They want to be seen inside our royal court. Inside our royal court, they want to be seen as good Puritans, good people. And, and that's the worst thing that ever happened to the left, is that we all decided we had to be seen as good people. Did, and that wrecked it. Did the awareness, do you think that there's the awareness that, yes, they are seen as good people? 
but they are also seen as Martians who don't exist within the country, within the culture, as most people yes, understand. That's a, yes, we've reached the let them eat cake phase of the uh, imminent collapse of the left. Yes, they mm. have the royal court in that kind of a lopsided society never lasts. Right. You can't have right. a tiny group of people ruling over a large a group of angry people. It just mm -hmm. never works. So but my question to the academy would be, do you care? And and if you don't, if you're like the SAG Awards, then off you go to your mm -hmm. utopian streaming platform. Mm -hmm. right. 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 And so I kind of figure that's where they are. I think they're. I think they're coming to their hundredth year and I think they're ready to shut the door on it. And I think this will finally end the Academy Awards and the Oscars because they cannot survive if they're not about the best. There's no point to them. Exactly. There's no point unless they're about the best, unless they're operating like sports teams about really, really being about merit. And of course they gave up that game years ago. So you're right. They, they gave exactly it up. Right. Yeah. And and because they they because the shit they have to take for going again, like let's say that woman that I saw reviewing poor things on TikTok. If that cast had been all white, wait, what did she, she say? First of all, I, I can't really remember. She was giving it a good review. She liked okay. it. Okay, but she was black, and I was thinking mm -hmm. this woman would never like this movie, and I don't blame her. Like I wouldn't want to be always having to watch movies about white people if I was a black person. Like I was watching yesterday. I was watching a Christmas Carol with like one of the greatest actors who ever lived, not the first one, but George C. Scott. Oh um, yeah. That was in the uh, early eighties. When was that? Seventies? Something like that. I can't TV remember, movie. but yeah. it yeah. was a TV movie, but he's <laughs> such a good actor. It's like mind blowing. Yeah. Um, but I was watching that thinking, God, these people are so white. And if I was a little kid and I was a little black kid growing up in America and I was looking at that, I would feel horrible. Like I would feel shame and, and, and like, Wait, I am not, so you're saying that if you were that woman um, on TikTok reviewing poor things, you would be doing under some doing so under duress. You don't really want to watch movies about a, a crazy white Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that it was a legitimate uh -huh. concern back in the 70s and all through most of Oscar history. All that's true. How we've dealt with it is is wrong. How we've dealt mm -hmm. with it is to go full 1984, full Marxist. Um, full phony utopia where everybody's phony equal, right? Um, and we're all we've we've robbed people of color of, of the achievement, like of of the ability to achieve something while trying to fix this problem, this problem of of you know a dominant population, which white people always have been. And people who like to see themselves on screen, white people like to see white people on screen because it reflects them and their lives. And, you know, white liberals don't. White liberals like to see people of color on screen mm -hmm. be because it <clears throat> makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're doing something good for the world. Right. right. Um, so that woman on TikTok, she liked poor things because it it allowed her to to be to 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 not criticize it for being white mm. and so that allowed her to just appreciate the film for what it was mm -hmm. you know what i mean and by the way why why aren't there more uh, artists of color who are of the the exalted pedigree of steve mcqueen why aren't there some you know and, and viola davis and you know the real creme de la creme i know that the creme de la creme naturally is called 
criminal group, right? because there's only it's a small percentage. I understand that. But it just be well, it's because it's a it's a catch 22. Right. The only way to make white this is what American fiction's about. The only way to make white liberals pay attention is is if it's about race and racism. Right. right. And and unfortunately, you can never escape that as American fiction shows mm. where the where the characters can just be people like even we can get into leave the world behind. That mm-hmm. movie was so to me, it was so bad, but it, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a I didn't think it was an anti white movie so much like a lot of people are criticizing it as. I think it was more like a stupid movie. It was just dumb. Well, and she's, it, Julia Roberts is playing a Karen. We all understand that part. And and she's she really does a pretty good job of being a Karen, but she doesn't quite tip over into blatant racism. But it's under no. it's an undercurrent, you know. It's bullshit. She's a she's an advertising executive who lives in Brooklyn, and right. her husband's a teacher Professor, at a city college. City college. The yeah. second that Mar Hershalali and his daughter showed up, they would have packed up their things instantly, um, left, apologized profusely, and let them keep the re- the money. They they would be so white guilt ashamed of that they would never sit there and go this is our house that would well, never happen in a million they, years. Don't, don't you think what I said? Well, maybe we we'll, maybe we'll do something like that. But can we? I think we just stay here tonight and then we'll talk about it in the morning. No, but but that's not what they did. They they it was so embarrassing because they took people who are the epitome of white fragility types who mm-hmm. pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, I'm not this couple cause they weren't that rich, but mm. and they spent a lot of money on it. There is zero chance they would have mm. behaved that way. Zero. And so that lost me immediately from the movie. And I was like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? This is, remember, so this is from a book by a man of color. Who's, um, in giving his perspective on white behaviors so that's where it comes from right yeah exactly yeah. i mean there's a lot of different ways to read it i was listening to walter kern and matt taibbi's long review of it on america this week podcast and wow. they were going on it's, and on about it th- okay through the lens well because it's produced by the obamas and yes. barack obama gave script notes and mm-hmm. this is why they shouldn't be involved in hollywood at all and they shouldn't be making movies first of all because he's the king and she's the queen and people don't dare criticize the king and the queen so they're able to put out crappy movies like that and everybody has to pretend that they're good because it's obama so like no 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 can i ask something this is a movie that recalls for many of us uh the films of louis bunuel it has a surreal quality in other words not it doesn't recall that for many of us it recalls that for you but it does show us incidents that are very strange and, and odd and surreal that are not really tied together in a neat little explanation. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, what is this again? You know, and, and it's, and it's interesting. I thought I gave it points for not deciding to explain it in clear, unmistakable terms that, that the dumbest person can, they, they kept it kind of floating in the air in a way. I know? would have thought that too, if they hadn't put in so many, like Ethan Hawke not picking up that Spanish-speaking maid. Of course, he would have if he's from City College. And um, yeah, the I would have done that. That was bizarre that he would he, he drove off. Yeah, and left they want to say that. I'll, I'll explain to you what I think the movie's about. But <laughs> he um, he's stuck on the radio station sixteen nineteen. Like hello, yeah, yeah, that's, that's funny. Little, yeah. And um, and as those guys Taibbi and Kern were pointing out, 
like they knew that Julia Roberts was going to dance with the got with Mar Hershala Lee and like loosen up and, mm-hmm. um, and she just needed a spiritual awakening from a black man and an attitude adjustment. Right. Um, but what I think the movie is about is, um, I think it's about the, uh, existential angst of the American left, um, about what we've done to the planet, mm-hmm. uh, what we've done to each other, and how living the lives of privilege have made us immune to the problems and contributed to the problems, and that we're only leading to our own demise, which I think is a pretty shared, widely shared opinion about people on the left, certainly here in this town that I live in, and almost everybody that I know on the left, because when your problems are existential, and not practical. A practical problem would be mm. we can't pay our rent this month. Uh, my wife has to get a second job. Mm. Uh, my kid just got diagnosed with cancer. We have to go shop at this store to get cheap food. Like those are then you don't have time to sit around and want to worry yeah. about. And by the way, if I were driving on a road, uh, wide open, open fields, and a and a and a hysterical woman who uh, of uh, Latin descent who um, presumably has a job somewhere and therefore has at least some command of English, something, you know, uh, probably more than some because she's maybe working as a domestic, maybe she's working as a small business, but she has to deal with the culture in general in English. So if she absolutely was, would not speak one word of English, and two, if she was yes. so excited and so upset that she couldn't even calm down for a second, to explain, even in the crummy, crummiest pigeon English, what's going on or what's concerning her or what she needs to do. She didn't do that. They just had her go crazy and just, you know, that was not believable. So I, I just. Yeah, because they have scene. to show that, you know, this is what happens to the elite. And when mm-hmm. the world is coming to an end, they leave all the people of color and they abandon them. The whole movie was see the problem with. The problem with Barack Obama and Michelle Obama being involved in a movie is that you can't extricate you can't separate art from the ideology from politics from who he is and how he has influenced our american mm-hmm. left and our culture and so that's death to art because that's propaganda and so whatever he's trying to say that it has to be within this bubble these confines of and that's how what has happened to all of hollywood and all of writing fiction and comedy like it's all dead man it's mm. been sucked into this dogmatic ideology and everything always has to say the same thing right. so there's no more mystery there's no challenging there's no mm. like i thought the movie would have been much more fascinating if it could have gone so many different ways, but there's only so far it can go if the Obama's name is attached. Like it couldn't yeah. become grotesque. It couldn't become, you know, violent uh, or really challenging or confrontational. But I thought he, they had something worked out. They said, let's do a Bunuel movie. Let's do something surreal that doesn't quite tie together, but leaves us kind of like, ooh. Just makes, just makes white people feel anxiety about themselves. Yeah, great. Um, oh, I, don't I don't know. know. I, I thought, it, you know, if it was pure propaganda, they wouldn't have done the surreal Bunuel thing. They would have, you know, just I don't know what they would have done. But this it put it staked. Yeah, it, yeah. If you separate the ideology from the film, then I would agree with you. But mm-hmm. they didn't. And and the best art challenges our worldview, right? Like if 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 this movie, if Barbie, if Poor Things, if any one of these Hollywood movies that's adhering to the strict 
woke rules, if mm-hmm. a single one of them had turned around and confronted that, I would have just been over the moon. But they are too afraid and they won't do it. Mm-hmm. Like Barbie had an opportunity to do that. They could have made fun of the fact that this is both my my Gen Z niece and my daughter said that they didn't think it went far enough. Like it could have made fun of the fact that every Barbie has to be a certain type Mm. and that they'll always have to be that plus size Barbie, disabled Barbie, trans Barbie, Mm -hmm. uh, black president Barbie. Like it would have been funny to make fun of that, Mm -hmm. but they couldn't because of the woke and because of Mattel would never have let them do that. Leave the world behind would have been to me a great movie. If the people that showed up were Trump supporters and they had to confront that something like that. Kevin Bacon was a Trump supporter. No, probably. Well, I think he was supposed to be. Yeah, but he's not really because he's a survivalist. um, He's obviously a right winger. So, well, kind of, I don't know because he changes. The thing about him is he's one guy. And then when the tragedy hits, he becomes another guy. And I think that's the whole point of this movie is to say that the, you know, the the little daughter is a total brat mm-hmm. and she becomes um a bitch in the time of crisis julia roberts is a bitch in the time of crisis but mm. eventually they all come together and, and i the think little if girl I could gets give, to watch friends <laughs> yeah if That's i could think thing. of anything mm. that obama was trying to put forward it's that he wants mm. us all to know that we can do better and survive better if we work together as a, as a country and as a people instead of that I, but I think he could have gone a lot farther with it. That's the mm. nicest thing I can say. I didn't hate the movie. I, like you, I enjoy s- s- surreal movies like that. It's always fun to watch Julia Roberts and mm-hmm. Mark Hershalla Lee is, is so charismatic. And um, Ethan Hawke is a good actor. Yeah. And I thought that, so, that uh, you know, it was pretty, I mean, I didn't hate it. I just said, okay, I know what they're, they're doing here. Yeah, exactly. But it is it is fine. Everything is fine. It's just that it's dead. Right. Mm -hmm. It's creatively dead. When you listen to that Adam Carolla interview and you listen to those two guys, they're talking in the free world. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I know the free world now because I've escaped the left and Mm -hmm. I don't I'm not afraid of what I say anymore. And it, it has meant that people hate me. People attack me, people shun me, people ostracize me, but I like being free in the mind and I like listening to who I want to listen to and and link with who I want to link with on online. I don't like people telling me who I can and can't be friends with, you know. I'm uh, I'm completely um, uh, adore that you live in the free world, and I and I um, think that um, um, I, I I think of myself as living in at least my version of a free world, and yeah. and most of the people who comment on Hollywood elsewhere are fucking evil serpents. They're awful. <laughs> well, let me evil. let me pay you a, a major compliment, Jeff, because I was just thinking about this the other day. You're the only non whore. In the Oscar business, the only one, even I have my whorish elements where I will not criticize a movie <laughs> if they're advertising with me. Well, do you don't do that. And you've held on to your integrity, mm. even though it's made you completely broke. And I thought, you know, there's something in that. Not completely there's an broke. honor in Mostly that. broke. <laughs> it's Mostly broke. broke. I, and sidebar, if you want to donate and help Jeff, you can <laughs> subscribe to this podcast. I don't get a dime from it. He gets all of it. 
So, but I want to compliment you on that because I think that's really brave and really hard to do. There's not a single person I can think of except you. Hollywood that, elsewhere well, I mean, is that's, not that's, a pauper with a tin cup. We're going to have about 20K right, filling so far. Let's just be honest. I'm just saying. All right. That's all right, not that's very fair. much, but it's something. You know. But it's better than nothing. Better it's than better nothing. than them not not advertising right. with you. Right. And um, and I think that's fantastic. I mean, I know that there are obviously people on the right who have no problem criticizing Hollywood and stuff. So I'm mm. not saying that, but you are the only one inside the bubble. You're the only one inside our industry mm. and Hollywood that dares to be mm-hmm. um say what you think right. even if people disagree with it mm-hmm. you know and i i admire that i really do can you switch over just for a brief second you told me no talking about the uh ideology over artistry sandals no talking about killers of the flower moon leave poor lily gladstone alone leave poor charles melton alone and so on okay can I just? All right, ask- no, we can talk about. Let's let's talk about that. I'm fine to talk about. I only said Lily Gladstone because I think your reader, your listeners, and your readers are getting the sick of, of that. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Um, well, it, it, yeah, but it doesn't make any difference because she's going to win everything, and she's, you know, every time I hear her voice, every time she speaks, there's no character. There's nothing. It's flat. It's this kind of. You know, it doesn't have any gumption. No, you know, there's no English on her on her accent. It's just kind of like I don't want to listen to her. You know, it's just she doesn't have a she. Just, there's something about the sound of her voice that is just banal. I'm sorry, and I'm not supposed to say that because I, you know, I, or you're saying that for racist reasons. I'm telling you, she doesn't have it. She doesn't have it, and that's all I'm going to say. Um. So, I know it's you know it's bad bad thing to say right because she's Native American so therefore she's wonderful so therefore she should win the Best Actress Oscar okay fine can we just ask I, I would just like I, I mentioned this yesterday and your uh, you saw um, uh, Saltburn like I did and I thought I was completely utterly repulsed by Barry Keegan's character by his behavior in that film he's a creep he's a perverse little weasel. And and yet people are saying, you know, this is the first time he's really sort of been on top. He's not playing a, a weirdo. He's not playing like the guy he played in um, uh, the Irish uh, film. Um, what the fuck is wrong with me? Um, the the, uh, the something something of initial banshees banshees of insurance. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I know I had a hard time. And that's funny. Everybody liked him in that. So you know. I'm just I, just, I really don't like this fucking guy. I really don't like him. I like the, those little beady eyes, those little warlock eyes, that that blown up nose of his. I don't want to hang with this guy. And uh, can you please tell me, and I'm not, I don't want to argue with you, obviously. I mean, I'm not, but please tell me, what is it about him that people find, oh yeah, pretty cool. You know, what is it they like about him that I am just, you know, I'm blocked about or something? What is it that you're... Well, he's, I don't know. He's a good actor. I didn't like him in Saltburn because I'm not the biggest fan of that movie, but I think, um, I think he was great in Banshees. Absolutely amazing. Loved him in that. He's the village idiot. Why is that great? So it's great. It's a great performance. Sorry, but it is. He's very persistently in love with, what's her name, with Colin's sister. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, let's, let's get married and all that. But okay. 
But wh- where's the big right? But how do you explain? I don't know how you explain why people like certain actors and celebrities. It's kind of unexplainable. First, either they have a spark, they have something alive about them, something that you see, you feel, you know, close to. You feel like, oh, okay, this guy has been through the same kind of experience, life experiences I have. He understands certain things. He's a real person. I didn't get that from him. He's a weirdo. He just does weird for its own sake. He does the Barry Keegan version of queer and thick and and and, and odd and weird. That's it. Well, just, people, I don't know. Listen, I don't think you can. It's not fair to criticize how fair. he looks. See, there we go. Okay. Can't, well, can't I mean, it's he, what can he do about his nose and his eyes? Uh, can he do I, about? If I, honestly, if I were him, I would get my nose fixed. I would. I'm not kidding. He's not a bad looking guy, but he looks ridiculous with that bee stung nose. He looks bad. I don't, I mean, there's a reason, you, you know, Sasha, I don't have to, you don't get angry at me, but you know, for many, many decades, starting in the 1920s, going all through the 20th century and up until about 2010 or so, people with big bulbous noses didn't get to play leads. Is there a reason for that? Um, yes, there is, because people don't find their, physical appearance pleasant they don't find it attractive they don't you know they they say a guy who looks like that has to play a kind of an odd character actor type okay but, that's he, but he does play that he does play an odd character not type. He's, he's 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 the main protagonist well he's not because he's the polar opposite of jacob alordi who is the beautiful one yes so he's it, beautiful it, yes it fits that he looks like that. She was going for that. She wanted someone who looked weird. She didn't want but somebody who looked... he acted weird, though. Every, every line he did was every kind of off. You know, he was like he was letting us know, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a line a certain way so you know that there's something fucked up about me. That's what he, he does in that film, pretty much. Well, I mean, I can't sit here and defend the movie because... I can't. I can't say. I'm not one of the people that absolutely love Saltburns. A lot of people out there who do. Um, Wait a minute. I mean, There's I, a lot of people who absolutely love Saltburn? Yeah. I know a lot of people, personally, who do. Wow. Personally. Yeah. I know. I was shocked by it, too. But, you know, I kind of feel the same way about... And don't get mad at me. I, don't, I feel the same way about poor things. I mean, I, I appreciate it on some level, but... I don't love it the way you do. I don't love it the way a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine, but you know, it was opaque to me in some ways and sh- kind of shallow ultimately. If um, if a um, if a movie doesn't make it, you know, there's there's, there's something called the Paul Schrader uh, approval meter. If Paul Schrader calls a film bad, as in B A T, as he did Saltburn, I think that's that means something. I don't because he didn't like uh, the holdovers, so screw him. <laughs> You're right. That was awful. That was awful. That yeah. really bummed me out because that that he's a, such a high status guy that all these other types like the Airlicks and them, they're yeah. all just gonna follow right along and kill the movie. Yeah. God forbid a good movie should do well in the Oscar race. There is no movie out there. I mean, as I've made it clear over and over again, to me there are three. Best Picture standouts is Maestro, Poor Things, and The Holdovers. The Holdovers is clearly the popular favorite among people that are, you know, they're not in the industry, but they just like movies. Clearly, there's no ambiguity about that. I mean, uh, Poor Things and Maestro are, are, you know, kind of caught up in their own artistic design. The Holdovers is a real people movie, and it's it's something that everybody gets. Everybody. 
and it's uh you know because it's not doing the extra thing it's not doing the identity thing it's uh, right. it's, too, it's too it's too white it's like you know 1970s that means that you're regressive that means that you're uh, you know you're not uh, invested in, in the now and the big changes the excitement of 2023 uh, you know you're hanging back you're you know your nostalgia so they're gonna put it down and dismiss it you know but it's a wonderful film it really is you know despite what paul schrader said yeah i agree mm. i mean i i think i understand where paul schrader is coming from because he's in his own little bubble too mm-hmm. and for him a movie like the holdovers is just the kind of movies they used to always make in hollywood so it doesn't seem like anything special to, to him mm. and i kind of i kind of feel like both that movie and uh, Boys in the Boat are these kind of new sort of old fashioned movies making a comeback. And I once wrote an article on my site where I said um, everything has gotten so weird in Hollywood. All these movies are so weird that the way to, to get people back into the theaters is to give people traditional movies. Right. And that's what the Barbenheimer thing showed me is that people right. were craving traditionalism. And I got mocked so badly in the comments. Ha ha ha. Traditional. Ha ha. What's that? White people. And, um, and, and they, they mocked me for it, but I think that there's something to that. I really do. I still think that I think if they, you ask me, what can they do? I don't know what the Oscars can do, but what Hollywood can do is they can start giving people what they want instead of what they You're think exactly they right. You're right. It was traditionalism that made Barbenheimer popular because there was no, obviously, no ambiguity about the girliness, the pinkness, the uh, the the irony and the commercialism of Barbie. And there was no uh, ambiguity about about Oppenheimer. It's about power and concentrated brilliance, and it certainly not doesn't play games with um, identity politics. It's straight history. And it's uh, history, but also the Barbenheimer meme itself. To me, they had this beautiful feminine blonde woman on one hand and this kind of you say he's not masculine. I agree with that. But in the Barbenheimer memes, he was kind of depicted as masculine with his hat and his suit. And it looked very Mad Men like. And so it it did sort of show me that there was a nostalgia about traditionalism. And there's this whole new movement in my daughter's generation, which a lot of people aren't picking up on and don't see, which is traditionalism is coming back in their world. Like her friend, who is the craziest girl, the first non-binary girl in her high school before the whole craze happened. There's this great crazy girl named Jane and she is always to us like the craziest person that we knew. She was full of anxiety. She was like doped up on psych meds. She became a poet. She was very political, very woke. The other day she just posted a picture of herself engaged with her boyfriend. We're getting married. And so there's something about that. And my daughter and a lot of her friends are getting married and there's this post COVID kind of hunkering down mm-hmm. uh, Americana, apple pie, husband, wife right. thing. That's, that's becoming a counterculture because things have gotten so crazy and weird on, on this end that the pendulum is starting to mm. swing back. So if I was Hollywood, that's what I would do. I would hit people with the most traditional movies. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they all have to be white, but I'm saying you should think about your audience. If you do have a large population of white people that you expect to come see the movie yeah put white people in the movie right right right. does that sound racist to say i wanted to take this opportunity because you know it's been a while since i've seen the boys in the boat 
And I just realized yesterday, gee, I haven't reviewed it. I don't know when the, you know, I didn't want to um, overstep or ignore the embargo. I don't even know if it's off. Are you allowed to review it now? I haven't, I haven't written it. I guess it. you must be. I mean, I agree. Like, I never heard from them. That movie is like the movie that wasn't there. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't understand so. that. You know, I don't understand why there's no press about it there's no publicity about it it's like it doesn't even exist well it's in a way it's it's it, and i um in a way it's the ava duvernay syndrome because uh, the reason that uh, origin has not been paid any real attention to people are barely giving us the time of day is because they have decided that over several films over the during the teens that she is an agenda driven filmmaker who is not entirely honest or entirely fair and since this is an ex exploration of caste society and racism and you know it's kind of an instructive thing but they kind of just figure okay here we go again with another ava lecture telling us you know how yeah. awful we all are so the same by the same token and i hate to say this because i happen to feel i don't happen to feel i do feel I, I really believe that The Boys in the Boat is the best George Clooney film since uh, Good Night and Good Luck. It's no question about it. He he did a really good job. Now, is it yeah. ambitious? No, it's not particularly ambitious. Is it just a kind of a decent little feel-good sports movie that makes you feel good about the people that... Yes, but it's fine. It's completely fine. And he made it... He did a good job of making it. And he didn't... It reminded me in many ways of chariots of, of fire it, it's, it's basically a chariots of fire of, of rowboating and um of what's this what's the term? it's not rowboating competitive rowing or whatever anyway right didn't you think so that it had a chariots of fire vibe about it well i i think i liked it a lot better than you did um <clears throat> but the reason that i liked it was a lot of the same reason why i like the holdovers because it was a traditional Mm -hmm. movie and the thing is it, it was like a movie you might see and it, it reminded me of a river runs through it is what it reminded me of um yeah. okay. because that that sort of era of movie making nostalgia in the 90s is mm -hmm. sort of what it is but you got to give him props because he didn't go woke this time yeah and i know it was amazing he like just he did with the, the yeah the last movie he made he screwed it up because he screwed it up so badly in the casting mm. of yeah. of a black female at Yale in the 1980s who was supposed to be the iconic blonde mm -hmm. that he, the the um, the Gatsby-esque character, fell for, mm -hmm. who didn't think he was good enough for. Right. And they wanted us to all have that conversation in our head. Well, why not a black woman? Well, once you do that, you start thinking about, well, wait a second, what about all the systemically racist conversations we've been having? Those just don't matter anymore because black women were fine they could just get into yale no problem and once Bullshit. they were there they had no problem being at yale as a black woman mm -hmm. and he got attacked really from both sides from people like us who said you know why are you pandering yeah. in this way and ruining the uh the memoir by distorting the reality of what was a guy's real life it mm -hmm. was a memoir you know right and then on the other side the woke people were mad because they said how could you just put a black you're not even dealing with the experience of being a black woman at Yale. You know, you're just going to put her in there. Like they were, they were mad on both sides. I remember that woman, that wife of the producer got all mad about it. Remember her? Um, yes. Yeah. She, she said, you know, it really, it really is hard to make even a mediocre film. And she's right. It is very, very hard to make it movie even half works. 
and she felt that they were being cruel and dismissive. And her, she right. was letting her feelings out. I understood what she was saying. I do too. I, I'm not criticizing her. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that, you know, the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. Yes. And you yes. can't hide from it. You just can't. And so mm-hmm. I was happy to see that when he made the boys in the boat, he didn't do that thing. He did it just yeah. right. I was amazed how it fell into place and it just progressed and there was no speed bumps. It's just, you know, you can say, well, it's kind of predictable it's like i've seen a hundred sports movies like this before underdogs etc but it's awfully good it really is you know i didn't have any issues with it and you come away and i said well that was a good film that was a good Mm. film you know it's funny yeah yeah i did too i liked it i mean it's 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 seems a movie out of time but it is one of those movies that you can recommend to anybody right you know like and there aren't a lot of those Mm. because you know Well, anyway, one final comment about uh, anything, because we've gone on over an hour, I think, is uh, basically I had a chance yesterday morning, and I was rather surprised. I didn't really pay attention, but there's a 4K uh, UHD Blu-ray of Titanic that just came out about maybe 10 days ago, seven days ago, something like that. And uh, I haven't, you know, I've seen, the last time I saw Titanic was during the uh, re-release in 3D, which I didn't think was that great. And, of course, I saw it numerous times back in 97. I was at People magazine when it first broke. And I remember that very first screening on the Paramount lot. It was raining outside. And and I remember that that feeling that everybody had. It was devastating because it's it's really a, a great movie only in the last half hour. It's 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 a very good movie, efficient, well well made, but it's only really kicks in during the last half hour. And in fact, the last 20 minutes, the last 15 minutes, that's when it delivers. If it didn't have that last 15 or 20, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the thing that it was. That's what made everybody melt down. But the the thing that bothered the shit out of me back then, <clears throat> I remember they had created such a wonderful melancholy mood of uh, of loss and death. Yeah. And poor Jack uh, drowning and freezing to death. And, you know, she's she holds on to the memory and all that. And then they put Celine Dion's song at the very end. And it killed, killed, <laughs> killed the entire film. It killed it for me. It was it destroyed that carefully cobbled together atmosphere, that mood, that 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 somberness. It was so sad towards the end. And then they brought in Celine Dion to murder that mood. And I'll never forgive uh, the people who decided to do that. I know what they're doing. They're trying to cater to the people who liked that kind of, you know, girly attitude, that Celine Dion thing of, you know, romance and my heart will go on. But I thought that was one of the great miscalculations. That's funny. Modern center history. When That's funny. That's funny that you think that because there's probably not a single other person on the planet who feels that way. No, that's not true. I know what that movie is doing and I knew I know the way it felt. I'm not like I'm not on drugs saying this. I mean, I, I, this is a good, powerful film that carefully delivers the melancholy and the sadness and the sense of loss and then the release that she has when she either dreams or she dies and goes back to meet her lover. That was beautiful. And then they killed it by by polluting the vibe with a Celine Dion song. It was awful. You, oh, you, in other well, words, to- you, I, you like it. In other words, you think it's a good song. I I think it's a perfectly fine song, but I think it added to the to the magic of the success. That without that song, that movie never would have been 
as successful um, as it was. Songs sometimes and soundtracks and scores connect people emotionally to films. I thought Titanic was the way I described it back then, and I still think it's true. Mm -hmm. The greatest movie of all time and the worst movie of all time. It's both in one. Like, his cheesy dialogue is so terrible throughout. But the end, I mean, the once they hit the iceberg, the movie becomes great, I thought. Just that is what Cameron can do really, really well is that Mm -hmm. stuff. He can't do as well the writing and the dialogue. He's just not good at it. He's never been good at it. It's always cheesy. But his directing saves it because it's so good. His directing is good. His writing isn't, in my opinion. But um, but the only he could have he could have brought somebody in to polish it, you know, dialogue wise would have been that much better of a film. I agree. Right, right, right. Um, But I I can't argue with Titanic. Right. It's just it is it's Mm. you know, it's it's greatness. Right. (laughs) um, It is. It's just cinematic greatness. It's just one of those (laughs) things. It's unequivocal. If a movie delivers, it's like it's like you wait and you wait. And you wait, and then at the last 20 minutes, the movie starts paying off like a slot machine. Bang, bang, bang. And it's like, yeah. that's what all great movies, they understand. Hold your cards until the last, the last act, and then, then make it happen. And, it's, mm-hmm. and there's, no, there's no disputing that that's, that's the formula for superb filmmaking. Right, right. Gotcha. Totally agree. Um, okay. So what is today? Today's the 17th. Mm. Um, when mm. is Christmas? Christmas is coming up on the, well, Solid it's one wing week wing. from now. I, I don't know if we'll be able to do a Christmas Eve podcast. We'll see. Why don't we just do a Christmas, you know, what are we doing? What I mean, doing? I have my daughter coming in, and I don't know if I feel like working. I'll, I'll have to check back with you on that. Um, I think we're allowed to take Christmas off, or I am anyway. Um, and then the next week is New Year's Eve, which I'll never have any plans on New Year's Eve, so it doesn't matter. I can certainly catch up after my daughter leaves, um, but I don't want to take up my time with her doing this personally. I'd rather be able to spend all the time. If there's a moment I can escape, I will. But Christmas Eve's going to be pretty busy uh, around here, I imagine. So I'm not sure I'll be able to do next week. Um, but let's let's just try to make this a little bit longer. What are some of the other things you had on your talking? your talking thing your talking points uh well i had mentioned um that i just saw months after the fact joan baez i am a noise can you talk (laughs) into the microphone yes joan baez i am a noise is just a basically a review of her present life she's pushing 80 uh, or no she's over 80 she was born in 41 um and she's still you know recording and she's sort of coming to the end of her life and certainly the end of her career although she does she has all sorts of love and it's it's great but it's like a mandatory thing whenever a person reviews his or more particularly her life because this is a directed by three women and the idea is to bring out the trauma and the victimization Mm. and they don't lay the cards on the table because there are no cards apparently but there's a belief on her part and her sister's part mimi farina who died uh about two two three years ago or was it 12 10 years ago? i can't remember i'm sorry you know richard and mimi farina mimi farina was her mm. sister and and basically they felt that her their their father had 
taken certain uh, liberties, you know, and I'm just, it just left me with this feeling. Look, I have never been sexually abused and I, but I've lived a fairly vibrant life. I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I hear things. I listen all the time. Why is it that I never heard of, of, uh, of sexual abuse by straight parents who are apparently okay in other respects. The idea of a parent, you know, taking liberties with a daughter, that's one of the most foul things I can imagine. And yet it apparently has happened. You go by, you know, the Woody thing, you go by the, by the, uh, you know, women were abused by their parents, by their straight parents. I just, my, my head was swimming. That, that this is always brought up. There's always this thing. It's like the Rita Moreno victim card in her documentary. Right. And I feel so badly. I mean, obviously, I don't know anything, and, and it's horrible. But why is this always coming up? Why Why is there, like, I mean, what, where is this whole current in, in American culture where straight parents, responsible, tax-paying, they mow their loans on the weekends, and they've fingering their daughters when they're 12 years old i i just can't i don't have any place to put that i don't know where what that is <laughs> wait so go back are you saying that the joan baez is saying that that's what she yeah something happened to her she won't be specific her... she won't say he, he put her thing his fingers in me she won't say he caressed my breast or she, no specifics but she says something happened and I, I don't have any stories and I'm not going to, but something happened. And her sister believed that something happened. Okay. Well, what am I, who am I to say? No, it didn't. Of course, maybe it did happen, but it was just so bizarre that this, that victimization. Well, that, that sounds that, like to me, like su- suppressed memories or whatever, you know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. hard to trust that. Like if something like that happens to you, you know it and you know right. what it is and you say it out loud. Yeah. If you don't, you're like somebody who's spent too much time in therapy and mm-hmm. you're dissecting yourself and deconstructing your own mind and you're trying to figure out what it is. And, oh, it could be that. It's probably that. I was in therapy so long that my therapist almost had me convinced that I had been molested, even though I had never been. But, but he. But what did your therapist base his or intuition? She. she what did she base her intuition upon? From what? Where did that come from? Well, because you're sitting there and you're, you're, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in therapy, but you're, you're, you know, you have to tell your problems and you do, mm-hmm. you know, and sooner or later, they, they what they want to do is they want to solve the problem. Now, what they do is they just prescribe drugs. Like every child in my family now, every mm-hmm. Gen Zer has been prescribed some sort of psych med, whether it's for anxiety or for anti-depression, that's what psychologists are doing now. They're just giving them drugs, which is horrifying. A mm. whole generation raised on drugs. It's horrifying. Right. Um, but, but in my generation, because I was an adult of the 90s, everything was about the mass hysteria was around molestation, mm-hmm. that everybody had been abused. Everybody had been sexually abused. You know how Me Too is. Yeah. That's what child molestation was like in the 90s. And um, and so everybody's problems were supposedly stemmed from having been abused as children. I guess why is it that I that I never, I mean, you know, I mean, why would there be any straight people, regular people, decent people, even getting close to that kind of behavior with their children? It just sounds insane that that would happen. 
Well, it's not it's that. not that com- it's not that common, but but there is my you know my I know people close to me who were molested not by parents but by well um, teachers is different is that neighbors and stuff like yeah. that you mm-hmm. know right um I understand this pred- predation is everywhere I understand that part obviously but. yeah and and only a really really screwed up parent would do it. You'd have to be really, really screwed up. You'd have to be twisted in your mind and a sociopath, right? Yeah. So you would have to have more concern for your own desire and your own addiction mm. than for the well-being of this other person. Right. And when you hear these stories, the ones that are true, not the ones mm. like Joan Bias, <laughs> but the true ones are, you know, there's, there's, they'll, you know, scratch a child molester and you'll uncover a narcissist. You know, that's what they do. They. Mm. Now, I had a stepfather who was weird and inappropriate. He didn't molest us, but he did show us porn films when we were little kids. <laughs> really? You know, oh. stuff like that. Yeah, because the 70s was a lot like now. They erased the boundaries that kept kids safe. Look at what happens at parades, pride parades now. They're well, erasing you, the how boundaries. How old he showed you porn films? 12, oh. 13, 14? What? Probably around... Eight or nine. Oh my God, that's awful. Yeah. yeah. With him. Well. It's one thing if your uh, your your sexuality is starting to come out. In the seventies, they had this idea. I knew a girl who whose mother taught her how to masturbate with a vibrator when she was a little girl. And um, that that's like boundary crossing that they did in the seventies because they thought they were mm-hmm. helping women to avoid being frigid and and shy about sexuality they they it all came from a good place well intentioned Mm -hmm. and so that's more or less what it was about you have to be able to remember the 70s and -hmm. the boundaries are being erased like tatum o'neill and bad news bears if you don't remember that and that's obviously what leads us into the polanski story yeah you know People look at it through today's eyes and say, you know, everybody was so prim and proper. Everybody was looking out for kids. Everybody was protecting kids. They weren't. They didn't start protecting kids until parents like me went to therapy in the 90s 90s. and had kids of our own. And then we became overprotective. We Mm -hmm. coddled our children and we created, we were helicopter helicopter. parents who created these crazy coddling of the American mind children now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that are ruining the country. Right, right. So yeah. everything moves in cycles, right? Yeah. And eventually the kids of those kids, like my daughter, I told you this traditionalism that's overtaking them, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing's going to play out all over again, right? right? The whole cycle will play out all over again. But, you know, mm-hmm. we bounce around from what we find terrifying, that terrifies mm-hmm. us, you know? And a lot of the kids that come out of this era are going to be defined by what they believe is per- oppression. Yeah. I was raised by a white father, you know. Right, right. That kind of thing. So, um like uh, those Native American like those Native Americans who can't watch Killers of the Flower Moon, for instance. Is that what people on TikTok have been saying? I, I can't watch it, it's too traumatic. Well, you, you've seen you've seen that. You've seen people saying that. Yeah. Um, they're warning people don't watch it. It's you know, it's the same as like that idea of like you know, traumatizing black bodies and you know, re-traumatizing. And um, and that's it. People in this era right now are defined by being victims and being oppressed. You know, and so they they just take it as a an accepted reality. 
And that's unfortunately what has overtaken all of the left, what has killed art, right. Right. comedy, everything else. So. Everything, yeah. That, that I remember when Will, when Lily said uh, rhetorically to everybody out there, I understand what you're feeling, and so don't uh, don't see it alone. See it with someone you feel safe with. Right. And then you can kind of get through it. I know it's going to be a little rough to consider that the, some Native Americans in Oklahoma were murdered outright by greedy, awful people. But, you know, you have to, this is what the film is, and it's important, and it, it's history. So just see it. Mm. Well, just make sure you're with somebody you feel safe with. I have uh, don't know, yeah. you know, what to do with people who... Safety is the main thing in their life. It's safety and it's it's the victimization culture, the victim Olympics. Who is the most victimized yeah. and therefore gets the most attention online? Right. You know, it is it's power mm-hmm. in our culture right now inside the bubble. It's power being a right. victim. Like if you if you go back to the era we're talking about or a lot of how they are on the right, which is, mm-hmm. you know, hard work and achievement is how you succeed, period. <laughs> then that takes away power, takes right. away victim culture because you can't cry racism anymore, you know, okay. right. yeah. or transphobia or whatever it is that they're defined by, you know, somebody who's trans on your message board, like Zoe is mm-hmm. given protective status as a trans woman, as right. opposed to me as a woman, I get no such protective status because right. I'm not considered a victim anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no protect unless I said, oh, I am in a victim of assault. I don't even sure even that ranks anymore, you know, but if you're trans and you're a trans woman, then, you know, you, you make sure everybody knows it and then no one dares go after you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the new societal ranking. Um, <clears throat> One last topic and we'll, and we'll end it. What is your interpretation? As to why there has been so much in the way of uh, serious, top of the list, best best picture of the year praise for uh, for um, <clears throat> the um, Todd Haynes film. Um, May, December. May, December, May, December, which is uh, profoundly uh, OK, profoundly underwhelming to a certain extent. But not a bad film. It's what is going on? Why are people doing backflips over this thing? And I, uh, and I've seen I, it twice. I have not figured it out myself. Mm-hmm. I've seen it twice too. And I, you know, to me, it's like a lifetime movie. I watch a lot of them, and um, and it's it's fine for that. I I, I do not mm-hmm. understand other than what you posted the other day on your site about that video on YouTube that strident video about molestation and trauma that's the only thing i can think of that they're just so wrapped up in this idea of this version of this character that they've all decided exists now i don't think he does exist because i was watching a women what character charles melton's character or what yeah no yes charles melton's character Vili. uh i can't pronounce his last name I, i watched a video with him the other day where he was being interviewed by dr oz okay and it was right after Mary Kay Letourneau died. Yes. And he was crying multiple times, mm. you know, very much loved this woman. And it wasn't, he didn't feel the way the character in that movie felt. 
it was sort of like they were inventing this version of the story that isn't the truth. Well, what you mean is towards the end of May, December, he starts to get in touch with some feelings of, gee, maybe I was kind of like manipulated and led yeah. around, you know, uh-huh. I, I was, I was, you know, she, she, she was running the game and I was just a kid and I kind of resent that and so on. So. And both mean, women, right? yeah. And both women are like Natalie Portman. I mean, I've, I've heard people interpret it that way. Like, like it's about true crime being vultures in people's lives and, um, Natalie Portman becomes a predator so that she can play mm-hmm. the predator that is Mary Kay Letourneau. Um, but I, it's so melodramatic and like, I love Todd Haynes's movies. I've always been a fan, but, but this one is, um, it's not quite, I think the truth, I think it must serve them somehow because how does it top film comments, best films of the year? How does it become number one? Mm-hmm. Of all the movies, it's it's somehow giving them what they want. It's it's like that ti- uh, sight and sound list where that that movie, that French movie, t- topped the list and beat Citizen Kane and Vertigo. Um, Jean, what is it? Uh, Jean Dillman. Jean, Jean Dillman. Jean Dillman. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That movie. That 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 May December is giving them that same sort of feeling that they're all deciding to align around it. I find it very strange, personally. I'm not saying the movie's bad. I don't think it's bad. I think the acting's good. I just it doesn't feel. Clarence, the guy who works on my site, said that he thought Natalie Portman gave the performance of the year in that movie. I just. For me, like I just didn't see that. I didn't see that same didn't movie. See it at all. I didn't see it mm. at all. I mean, she's you know she's gently questioning, and she kind of uh, I guess she sort of takes the bull by the horns um, at a certain point when she decides to have sex with him. He wants to renounce his the manipulation that he experienced in real life, and so he fucks Natalie Portman, and that's kind of a she's she's going along with that. But um, I, I really don't understand what the thing is. And uh, I, got, I need some help, actually. Having seen it twice, I still don't get what was the big tell about the final scene in which we see Natalie Portman actually playing Julianne Moore's character in the uh. film that they were talking about. What is it that happens there again? I know that we're, we're, we're seeing the pet store seduction, I guess. Well, it's it's what they're saying is that um all of the trauma that that kid suffered his whole mm. sad miserable life was reduced down to this movie and it yeah. trivializes his trauma and so it's basically a criticism of hollywood of true crime of how we turn real stories into movies so in that way it's, it's sort of commenting on itself because that's exactly what it's doing too it's turning yeah. this tragedy into a movie about a movie about a about a an actress and a film company turning a tragedy into a movie i guess that's the most interesting thing about it that it's sort of like a mirror within a mirror within a mirror Mm -hmm. um but Mm -hmm. ultimately i did come away feeling grossed out by the movie because i did feel like they were exploiting this kid's trauma for the movie Um, they were exploiting it who's they the people who made may december like oh, I felt Todd like it Hayes was, is quoting was... the actual villies. Yeah. Okay. So I felt. I mean, I don't know that that I feel. You know, 
-hmm. because he's doing exactly what he's criticizing the movie for doing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're still looking at a story about an older woman who, um, you know, had sex with this little 13 year old and then pretended like it was all his fault. Well, she said, uh, Mary Kay Luterno said, I I knew it wasn't right, but I didn't think it was like illegal or something, you know, warranting jail time. And uh, and uh, I've I've tried it saying that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily evil to to be with someone who's older. I I, I would like I said, and I get shit on for this, that I would be <laughs> have been delighted to have uh, had sex with someone. When I was 15, an older woman, you know, delighted. I would have been, you know, but you're not supposed to say that either. So you're not supposed to you, Jeff Wells is not supposed to say that. Um but, I remember uh, what it was like. You can't take that away from me. I remember how lonely and miserable I felt when I was 15. It was, it was a bad time. Not good. Well, I, I personally think about that as that, and I think Natalie Portman's character shows this. Like, she starts, and in that scene where she's talking to all the students, she talks about how hot it is, right? How, you know, what what it's like to be turned on or whatever. And it's totally inappropriate when she does that. But, um, but mm-hmm. the... But it's true that whatever it was that connected these two people, it was primal and it was something they could not let go of. And they were drawn to one another. Look, they want to treat him like he was a victim. Fine. He is a victim. I agree. But at some point he gets older. He's no longer a victim, but he's so turned on by this relationship that he cannot let go of her. Right. And, and they have two kids together. Even when she's in jail for years, he hangs on. Like, that's yeah. how strong their connection is. Mm-hmm. I can't pretend to understand human sexuality, right? I, yeah. I mean, I used to do a lot of, I'm not going to freak out mm-hmm. your commenters or whatever listeners, but I understand the world of fetishism and, you know, fetishes and and certain things that pull you in that you can't resist. And it's true that we have laws in place to protect children from people who get into this situation. But in their case, he stayed with her long mm-hmm. after, you know, and and so to me, the movie was making the argument that we should accept. I think they wanted it both ways. I think they wanted us to understand that we should accept this relationship between them. And then I think they also were saying, no, you shouldn't. It's disgusting she hurt him and destroyed him but it doesn't seem like she destroyed him although he does you know he was bullied and he did try to kill himself so i don't know it's it's something that i don't understand but i don't feel like this movie got to it at all i felt yeah. like it was very shallow and superficial and uh, in that way i don't mean to criticize it i, I i'm good for todd haynes i'm happy to see him finally getting some success you know what do you mean he had well, he was successful back in the days of I'm not there and and far no, from those, heaven. But those movies were shut out of the Oscar race pretty much. Like he's never gotten a best director nomination. They didn't like I'm not there and only got like one nomination. And so, you know, I feel torn because I feel like okay. I want to see him. I want to see him, re, you know, get accolades and be celebrated. But at the same time, I don't. I'm not one of those people that would ever put may december at the top of a list of films of this year i just wouldn't be able to do it too many other good movies yeah strange martian appetites of people that are that are that say this stuff there's no no figuring it but they're really on another planet Uh, 
And but otherwise, have a merry Christmas and a happy New Year. But if we don't talk sooner, and a wonderful Sunday. You too. Bye bye. Take Spaces between